The Alaska Powerline podcast is generously supported by GenPack. As a stocking electric utility distributor, GenPack has been taking care of customers in the Pacific Northwest since 1965. With a strong customer focus and dedicated sales staff, they have built lasting relationships by providing quality products with value-added services. Now with a new Anchorage warehouse and a dedicated Alaska sales and support team, GenPack is ready to take care of their Alaska customers for years to come. Visit them at www.genpack.com for more information. GenPack, taking care of our customers since 1965. Welcome to Alaska Powerline, the podcast of Alaska Power Association, the statewide trade association for electric utilities in Alaska. On Alaska Powerline, we talk about issues facing Alaska's electric utilities, interview a wide range of guests, and demystify what it takes to provide power in the last frontier. Welcome back to the Alaska Powerline podcast. I'm Michael Ravito, Deputy Director of Alaska Power Association, and we're excited today to be joined on the pod by Terry Harper, the Chief Financial Officer for INN Electric Cooperative, and INN serves the communities of Iliamna, New Halen, and Non Dalton. Terry, welcome to the podcast. Good morning. So, Terry, we've invited you on today to talk about the Power Cost Equalization Program, which you have extensive experience with over the course of your career. Um, first of all, tell us a little bit about your background and kind of where you've worked in, in, in the state with the Power Cost Equalization Program and, and what you do now at INN. Well, I found myself looking for work back in 97 and happened upon a little Division of Energy agency within the state of Alaska. And from that, I progressed to managing the power cost equalization program for about 10 years. From there, I ended up with uh, working with INN Electric. So that's kind of my introduction to rural energy. And uh, it's been a pretty, pretty awesome path. And INN Electric, of course, is one of many utilities uh, that serve communities around the state that receive power cost equalization, correct? Yes, they are one of, I believe, about 89 utilities in the state of Alaska. And of course, well, just to shorten it up, power cost equalization is oftentimes known as PCE. So we'll just use that acronym from here on out. Uh, it's a little little less of a mouthful. So Terry, what just like kind of for somebody who doesn't know anything about it, what's an easy way to describe what the PCE program is and what it does? So the PCE program offers relief to high rates in rural Alaska, and it's done through a reimbursement through the local utility. So for instance, a utility operating in a village gives credit to their customers, their eligible customers, I should say, and then they submit paperwork necessary to the state of Alaska to get reimbursed for that credit given on the consumer's accounts. And you said eligible um, entities or, or customers. What, what is the difference there? Who's eligible in a community and who's not eligible for PCE? So PCE is available to residential customers up to 750 kilowatt hours per month and also community facilities. And those are generally facilities that are not uh, funded and controlled by the state and federal government that serve a community purpose. Um, and that determination is done by the Alaska Energy Authority. Okay. So in that example, then what what would not be eligible? Like uh, is a school eligible for PCE? No, a school is not eligible. Uh, an airport is not eligible. A telephone 
co-op is not eligible, those types of um, other entities, lodges, trying to think of some good examples in rural Alaska, you've got um, essentially any other commercial entity outside of a public facility. Right. That makes sense. So it seems like the program is really tailored toward residential customers. And then, like you said, community facilities that hold or that carry out kind of a community purpose without federal funding or other sorts of um, other large funding. Correct. Yeah. Okay. That's interesting. Now, there's a little bit of history about how and why the PCE program was created. Can you talk a little bit about how the program came to be back way back in the day? The program was established back in 1984, and it has um, taken on several iterations since then. Um, There's so many acronyms and different names over the years that it can get, the history is getting longer with the program, so there's more and more um, history. So in 1980, there was a power production cost assistance program, and then that went to the power cost assistance uh, program, I'm sorry, it was established to expire in five years, which did not happen. It became the Power Cost Equalization Program, or PCE, in 1984. And the purpose behind it was to try to compromise for the millions of dollars that were invested in the rail belt utilities and other parts of the state. So as they were Uh, As those dollars were committed, there was a desire to share in the wealth and share in the power cost uh, with the rural communities. So that's basically the birth of the PCE program, and it's been going strong ever since. So since the 1980s, it's it's been around for for quite some time now. And and has there been... Has it changed much at all over the years? I, I mean, I'm sure I, I know that just recently the program increased the per kilowatt hours uh, per month to 750 from 500 residential. What other sort of changes have been around over the years? Well, in 2000, they removed all commercial customers from the program, including schools, churches, and reduced it from 750 kilowatt hours to 500 kilowatt hours for residential. That then was changed in 2023, where they bumped it from 500 back up to 750, but they never did go back and add back the commercial entities. And some of the reasoning behind that was the fact that schools, for instance, were already being subsidized or paid for by the state and federal government. So it seemed like we would be subsidizing the federal government and subsidizing ourselves, the state of Alaska. Mm -hmm. So they opted to keep that restriction in place, which is still in place today. Yeah. And I guess it might be uh, advantageous to listeners who aren't from Alaska, or maybe for those who don't know about the kind of disparity in cost what what sort of kilowatt hour rates are we looking at in rural Alaska without PC? Like, what's the normal rate? It's pretty high out there, right? I don't know what the average is today, but I would guess in the sixty cents per kilowatt hour. While I'm in Anchorage and paying about twenty one cents a kilowatt hour with my local cooperative, Chugach Electric, which serves it is, I believe, the largest co op in the state, and we're paying twenty one cents. So. Um, it's about 40 cents a kilowatt hour more on average 
Yeah, and I know I've heard stories over the years from around the state of some very remote villages, even up near 80 to 90 cents a kilowatt hour, which is just such an insurmountable power cost. And that seems exactly what the power cost equalization program was designed to tackle. It is an attempt to equalize um, the, the cost of power across the state, or at least reduce it to an affordable amount for the rural communities. And it seems like there's been a little interesting uh, outfall of the PC program, which is you talked about the kilowatt hour cap at 750 kilowatt hours, used to be 500 kilowatt hours. Has, has it made rural Alaskans even more efficient in their energy use? Because anything that they use above the cap is at the full rate that they would usually pay. So have you seen, maybe at INN, have you guys down there seen um, some really focused uh, measures on efficiency in rural Alaska? I believe that there's always been a focus on efficiency in rural Alaska simply because the need to conserve the family budget, you know, getting down to the brass tacks of either buying power or buying food. And I believe that the folks in rural Alaska, for the most part, are pretty conservative already. I don't believe that we have seen a jump in consumption since it changed back to 750. We did not see our members go into town with their electric usage. They continue to be conservative. And so I think overall, rural Alaska conserves energy as much as possible. Yeah, it's definitely interesting when you, it comes to cost, what that drives, because I know you know friends and family who live outside in the lower 48 who have very, very inexpensive residential rates, but they're using like you know three to four times as much power per month that I use at my house in Palmer. So that cost, uh, that cost difference really makes a, a, an impact when it comes to keeping an eye on how much electric energy you're using. Yes. And you did mention some of the communities with really high rates. There are a couple, I believe, that are over a dollar a kilowatt hour. And you do find those folks are probably using 50 to 100 kilowatt hours a month running absolute bare minimum, an LED light bulb here and there, their freezer, just their bare minimum, uh, and also probably considering self-generating at that point when the costs get that high. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I guess we should mention here that, you know, if, if folks, if listeners are wondering, well, why is the cost so high? A lot of it has to do with the nature of Alaska and how geographically um, isolated a lot of these communities are. They're not interconnected to another utility and getting fuel and other supplies out there is particularly expensive. Is that what you're seeing in, at INN? What's the, uh, what drives those rates? Our rates are driven, we're 99% hydro most years, but we have a serious amount of debt mm -hmm. expense that we have to pay for that beautiful hydro. Um, because it's water, it's not free. It does have costs associated with it. We have wages. We have um, maintenance, we have travel. You know, when you're looking at plane tickets being $560 a round trip for everybody that comes and goes from the community to do work, linemen or otherwise, we do find that we have to um, hire contractors, engineers, outside help. A good example is right now we're looking at a generator issue that we're having and the best fix would be to load it up on an airplane and fly it to Anchorage and have it rebuilt. Mm -hmm. But we don't have a plane that can do that. So we've got to hire people, bring them out, house them, 
and uh, pay those rates. So it's it's very expensive um, cost of doing business in rural Alaska, no matter what you're doing. Yeah. And I was going to ask kind of at the same time, I would imagine since a lot of the rural communities are very small compared to the more urbanized areas of the state, there's there's not as many people to spread those costs around, right? So that that makes those rates even like that makes those rates high like they are. That's correct. You take the number of people and the natural willingness to conserve power, and you're operating on the the fewest amount of kilowatt hours to spread the entire cost over. So it, it does drive it up quickly. Yeah. And of course, you know, we want people to be able to live in their communities. So electric utilities are, I know an APA's membership are doing everything they can to keep those rates down as, as low as they can, but there are expenses that have to be paid and, you know, the power has to stay on, right? Correct. You can only reduce your cost to the bare minimum and you can only reduce your consumption to the bare minimum. And even when you do both of those things, the costs are still two to three times higher than what we're paying on the rail belt in the state, and which is even higher than what folks in other states are paying. Right. So that really calls to the importance of the PCE program, which leads me to a, another question. You know, it, it might be hard for somebody who doesn't live in a community that receives PCE to really understand the importance and impact of the program. Can you just talk about that, about the importance of PCE and the program being there and funded to these communities that receive um, money from the program? If you look at PCE as a whole, the funding and the, the reduction in cost to the consumers is very important. I personally believe that the rural utilities would have difficulty operating without the PCE program in place for a number of reasons. You have reporting requirements that require you to measure your power, read your meters, bill your customers, collect from your customers, keep track of your cost, keep track of your efficiency. There are a lot of uh, efficiency penalties built into the program. So it does cause the utilities to pay attention to their um their diesel efficiency, their line loss efficiency, their cost, keeping track of them. And then, of course, the, the reduction in cost to the consumers, um, it just paints an overall picture of the vitality of a community. Um, if you don't have safe, reliable power, it is very difficult to do anything else in a community. So the funding is really important. The stability of a funding source is really important. We have been blessed with an endowment fund that was put together uh, via a house bill in uh, fiscal year 2000 that has continued to fund the program to, to date. And so I'm hoping that that continues on a stable path forward. I'm glad you mentioned the endowment fund because that was going to be my next question because it's crucially important to the PCE program. Will you talk a little bit about that endowment and kind of a little bit, you mentioned a little bit about the history, but kind of how that works and how that money is used and, and how it supports the overall program? So before we had the endowment, we had to get a general appropriation every year. Um, and while I was managing the program, there were several years that we had to prorate the program 
three to six times, I believe six times was the, the maximum in one fiscal year that we had to recalculate the level of payments that we had money to pay mm-hmm. and uh, never could pay 100% until the endowment. And so now with the endowment, it's set up to spin off um, a set amount of revenue. And I apologize, I don't have the the brass tax statistics in front of me, but the gist of it is you have an endowment, it earns a return. The return is first used to fund the budget for the PCE program. It's then a portion of it is spun off to community assistance, and then another portion to the rural power system upgrade program, the bulk fuel upgrade program, and then lastly, the renewable energy fund uh, projects. I believe that is the, the breakout of that. And so every year, depending on how um, the funding is split out, PCE has been very fortunate to be funded at 100%, um, as well as being able to pay um, into these other programs. And I think under the 750 kilowatt hours per month limit, it's about $48 million per year to fund the, the PCE, PCE program, which that's coming off the earnings of the endowment, right? Not the principal. Correct. Correct. All of it is paid off of earnings. And that's why I think, you know, many folks in rural Alaska and a lot of lawmakers, they have an interest in protecting that principle because that is what drives those earnings to not only fund the PCE program, but these other important programs, which I should mention, and and you can talk about too, those other programs that Terry mentioned um, beyond the PCE program are all designed to help with rural projects and and, and non-rural projects too. The Renewable Energy Fund does fund projects around the state, but the idea is to bring cost of energy down with some of those projects. Is that correct? Correct. And and if not bringing the price down, stabilizing the price. Um, I think that that's just an important, just as important is recognizing that sometimes all we can do is stabilize the cost and not necessarily reduce it. Yeah. And that's really important. We hear at APA from our members about, you know, there's a um, a real drive to, of course, lower the cost, but if you can't lower them in the near term, that stabilization. So those rates don't peak up and down and then consumers don't know how to budget year over year. And I, I would imagine utilities have a lot of problems with that too. If the prices are jumping up and down, it's got to be pretty hurtful to the accounting department. It can be challenging, and I think this might be a good segue to talk a little bit about training and reporting requirements. Mm -hmm. Um, If that's okay with you, I'll kind of talk a little bit about that. So the utilities are required to report annually to the Regulatory Commission of Alaska, and they're required to report their sales, their revenues, their expenses, and that is what the Regulatory Commission uses to calculate their PCE level. They now only look at those every three to five years unless a utility requests that they look at them sooner. So I think that's something that many utilities, smaller utilities for sure may not know, that if you have seen an increase in your cost, to not just file your annual report with the regulatory commission, but file it with a request that they review and update your PCE levels. Because as costs change, they should be considered and they should be recalculated at that point in time. Um, I don't know of much training that has been available um, in the 
past decade or so. Um, so that would definitely be something that I would like to see more training made available so that utilities are fully informed as to how they can maximize their benefit. How time consuming is the reporting process? Is it pretty paper heavy or is it, how does it look these days? Well, I think that if you are organized and that comes through training, knowing kind of what to expect. I know when I was doing training, one of the first things I would share with the clerks that would come is that you don't need a degree and you don't need fancy software to do your PCE reporting. You simply need to be organized. You need to know what you spent your money on, in what categories, how much power you sold, how much fuel you used, and your basic operators uh, reporting. And once you have that information, if you keep it organized throughout the year, your reporting to the regulatory commission is quite simple. But if you're new and you've never done it before and you don't know, it can be very overwhelming in a hurry because you're probably wearing three or four hats in your small community. So PC reporting to two different state agencies can just be overwhelming at the mere thought of it. Yeah, so you pointed that out very wisely that a lot of the utilities serving these small communities, they have a very small staff. And I think the number one thing that they're focused on is keeping the power safe and reliable. And so um, having them well-trained to keep that PCE uh, process going is important because like we mentioned before, the cost of power in a community is kind of determines everything that goes on in that community. So you want everyone to kind of be on task and keeping things where they need to be. So those PCE payments and are not only showing up on time, but also accurate as well. Correct. Correct. It's it's definitely gives the utility the best shot at recouping the cost that it actually incurs in the generation and distribution of power. Now, let's real quick, just talk about um, there's there is kind of a statewide tie in because, you know, Terry, you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast that the PC program kind of came after there was a lot of millions upon millions of dollars, maybe hundreds of millions of dollars spent in rail belt uh, region and other areas on projects. And then the PC program came to the fore to kind of equalize that um, those costs. How does the calculation determine the the cost? I know that, or the PC rate, I know that the calculation can be complicated, but Fairbanks, Anchorage, and Juneau, their power rates play a role in PC calculation too, right? They do. They take um, every year annually, the Regulatory Commission of Alaska calculates what we call the floor, which is the lowest that the PC program will subsidize rates. So for instance, it's right at 20 cents a kilowatt hour. So you have the floor and the ceiling is $1. Um, the ceiling was 52 and a half cents up to, I believe it was 2008 or 2009, and they bumped it up to a dollar due to the high price of diesel. But it was supposed to sunset and it never did. So that remains in place. So you have the floor and the ceiling and the costs that get considered are 95% of the amount in between those two. It is kind of a complicated calculation. It's 95% of the cost between the floor and the ceiling or 95% of your rate, whichever is lower. 
Um, and that's 95% of your average rate, which is your rate minus the floor. So again, you can see it, it gets complicated really fast, but when you put it on paper, it's not that complicated. But again, it comes with training and people understanding what makes those numbers go up and down, uh, why it's important to collect all of the information. If everyone in, in a community that, rece that receives PC should be grateful for folks like you that can do that calculation because yeah, that is, I, I know just from my own work around the electric industry over the years that um, it's a complicated calculation to get to the PC rates. And then of course, you know, folks in rural Alaska, correct me if I'm wrong, but oftentimes they watch what is happening in those communities, Fairbanks, Anchorage, and Juneau that help determine the PC rate because if the power cost of power goes down in those areas, the PC, it it's advantageous to the PC rate. Whereas if the cost of power in those three communities goes up, it's disadvantage to the PC rate. Is that accurately char characterized? That is. That is. the Basically, the program will not subsidize the rates below that average. So, But it can subsidize them to that average. So there are communities participating in PCE that have effective rates of $0.20 cents a kilowatt hour. Uh, for instance, right now, INN Electric, we have $0.65 cent a kilowatt hour power for our residential customers, and their PCE level in place right now is 0.3999. So they're paying right at $0.25 cents a kilowatt hour, which is darn close to that average of Anchorage, Fairbanks, Juno. And that's the beautiful part of this program is it makes that power more affordable so that they can pay the higher freight, the higher food, all of the other higher costs that they're already dealing with in the rural communities. Yeah, no, that's, that's a good way to explain it. And I think just with the time we have left, I was thinking about, you know, sometimes people ask, well, why can't we just bring the cost down in rural Alaska so much that we could get rid of the PC program? And I'm sure that in a perfect world, you know, these communities would love to have energy costs that are so low they don't need PCE. But the reality is that in the, the short or medium term, that's not going to happen. So, But as utilities like INN and, and others work to stabilize and lower the rates, that PC program needs to be there. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of that PC program while these utilities are working on this, maybe integrating new technologies or new approaches to lower the cost out in rural Alaska? Sure. Um, I think, first of all, there's always, to me, it feels like the lost child. There's always going to be a village community that is going to rely solely on diesel, solely on a small plane, solely on a, a river barge, getting goods and services to them. And they're not ever going to be a candidate for renewable power uh, renewables of any kind um, that are affordable. Mm -hmm. You know, I think sometimes there's a misconception that if we just got rid of diesel, everything would be cheaper and better. And and I don't believe that is the case for some communities. No, I, I think I hear what you're getting at because, you know, we uh, at Alaska Power Association, you know, we hear from our rural members a lot that you know, even integrating solar or wind doesn't necessarily bring the cost down in significantly in the short term or medium term because of those uh, those things you talked about. While it is good to diversify and all of our members are looking to diversify the generation, you still have the cost of transporting 
goods and supplies and labor. You have the small rate payer base to spread it upon. And so while you are lowering your reliance on diesel fuel, it's there's no real silver bullet that's going to suddenly drop rates in rural Alaska. Is that pretty accurate? That is. And I, I think there are a few communities or a few utilities around the state that have purposely or inadvertently subsidized their own power cost down, um, kind of giving a a false sense of, you know, we, we have cheap power when really it's just being subsidized through other means, whether it's through categorizing uh, city expenses in a different way or whatnot. Um, but I don't believe that you'll ever be able to just write a check for everybody's electric power in rural Alaska. You know, I, I, it's not what the program was intended to do. Um, it was intended to attempt to equalize the cost and so in the in the spirit of the program, I believe if we continue to be mindful of the endowment, mindful of the intention of the program, and be honest about what is happening in rural Alaska and what is happening in our state, um, I think the open-mindedness could take us, you know, well into the future of trying to touch on each and every one of those and in improve the lives of, of the people in our state. Well, Terry, I think that that's a perfect way to, to end the segment here. We really appreciate you coming on, Terry, and good luck with everything you're working on out there at INN. All right. I appreciate the invite, Mike. We've been talking with Terry Harper, the Chief Financial Officer at INN Electric Cooperative. This has been the Alaska Powerline Podcast. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you on the next episode. 